Good morning. Uh, my name is Nicholas Ngai. I'm a member here at Solano, um, and I have the privilege of reading today's scripture, which comes from 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13. I invite you to, there are Bibles in front of you if you want to read along, or as you can see, it's also up the, on the screen here. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and we are no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by the, your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it, when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, yet lest I make my brother stumble. This is God's word. All right, <clears throat> my name is Paul, I'm the associate pastor, and I'm going to help us jump back into 1 Corinthians, that is a sermon series that we are in, and it is about being a healthy body, so just try to recall what the 1 Corinthians message has been about. Paul is helping the Corinthian church deal with the many controversies and confusion and conflicts within the church, and, uh, and he wants them to be a healthy body of believers. He wants them to understand how to use their body, and he's going to want to understand the importance of the body of Christ. And so today, as we jump back in, we're going to be, Paul's going to address the problem of knowledge. And I was thinking about this, right, and I want you to see if you can um, sympathize that one of the conundrums of life is that knowledge does not transfer one-to-one -one from human being. Right? Any teachers out there? Anyone have the responsibility to explain and instruct others? You know this pain, right? Have you ever had something you really knew really well, you were excited about it, it benefited you, and you wanted someone else to feel that? That does not, that transference uh, does not happen. There's interference, right? I'm experiencing that right now. I, uh, I've recently gotten into dieting and nutrition, and I am explaining this to anyone that will listen, especially my wife. The problem is she explained this to me five years ago. And I was like barely listening. And now I'm trying to explain it to her. There's all these problems when we try to pass off knowledge. I remember I was in a counseling session. I was looking for a counselor. It was kind of an intimidating experience. I've never done that before. There was an issue in my life. And I sat down with this, this counselor. It was the first time. I met with him. He, he took about 15 minutes, heard my issue and my story, then proceeded for about 30 minutes to explain how he was going to fix 
my problem. And it, I was like, man, you know your stuff, and I'm not going back to you. <laughs> that was the last time I saw him. Right? He seemed to be more excited about his knowledge than he was about building rapport and getting to know me. And so, but you know, I've been on the other end of that. I remember when I was um, on staff with crew, I was on the younger side, uh, but I was in a position of leadership. So we had taken a bunch of students overseas on a missions trip, and you developed some bonds with those students, and they began to open up to you. And I remember this one student began to open up to me about a, a problem he had with God, one, uh, some questions he was having. And so it just happened to be that this was the exact issues I had come to some exciting conclusions about. And so in the next meeting, I proceeded to lay it all out for him. I explained all my wonderful, good answers, right? I was helping him, right? He didn't understand this. Well, um, not long after that, I saw him like on the floor with other students, and they were praying for him. He was crying. And later I found out because the stuff I had shared with him had kind of wrecked his paradigm of God, and he couldn't, he couldn't really understand it. Um, <clears throat> I had basically just run over him with all my answers. And it's even hard for me to share that now, but you begin to see the danger of knowledge, right? What was the problem in both those cases of the counselor and even my leadership? I cared more about what I knew than really understanding where this person was out, was out and how to connect that truth to that person. In other words, it's easy to know things. It's much harder to build up people. And here is the problem. The church, I think the people of God, I think we have the biggest struggle with this. Why is that? Because we have the best knowledge, don't we? Don't we have the best knowledge of all? It, don't we know God? Don't we know the good news? We know Jesus Christ. We know the way of salvation, right? We know the secrets of life. We know the mysteries of the universe. We have insights into the human heart because of how God reveals this to us. And so that means the greatest guru on earth has nothing on the least in the kingdom of God when it comes to what we know about this world. And yet it is here that we stumble. We lose sight of something as the church. Something begins to go awry, doesn't it? Our message isn't being heard. Our truth, our knowledge is leading to fighting and arguing. We feel isolated and alone from one another despite sharing these amazing truths on earth. There is a problem there is a danger with the knowledge we have, and we're not dealing with it. We're not handling it. And so this is actually the issue that Paul is going to begin to address, and it's, a, it's going to actually be one of the dominant themes of the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians. He's going to help the church learn to be a healthy body by navigating this problem of knowledge and the need to build people up. That does not happen automatically. Right, So Paul's going to address this issue we just learned. They're having a problem about food offered to idols. What are we to do about this? There's this food that we can eat. We're being invited to hang out with our pagan friends, but oh, it's, offered to, it's being offered to you know, whatever uh, temple was in the area. And so let me just give you a picture of this so we can visualize it. Um, 
there's some historical context. Yeah, next slide. <laughs> this is the picture of a temple. This is like the, the rough blueprint. You could see the temple and the altar, but outside of that, there's a courtyard, right? So this is where the social scene happened, right? This is where the Starbucks and the Pete's and the Trader Joe's was all right in there. So go to the next slide. You can see it a little more clearly. So do you see there, you see the, the, the courtyard, and then they had these dining rooms, right? And so this was the social scene where people ate together with just one big problem. It was food that was being offered to idols. And so the Corinthian church had to learn how to navigate this. And so to um, answer this conundrum, uh, here's what Paul does, verse 1. He says, concerning the food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So to answer the conundrum of food offered to idols, and I think we can feel this, right? How many of you would wonder what to do in a situation like that? I think we would struggle. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. And so Paul says, okay, there's two things going on here. There's the issue of knowledge, and now there's the role of love. Here's the introduction to the important theme of love in the church. Paul introduces it right here, and he's not really going to let it go until the very end. So we begin to pay attention to this theme of love. And what Paul does, and I would argue a little bit distressingly for most of us, is he begins to paint knowledge in a somewhat negative light. And I say distressing because if you're like me, knowledge is how you love somebody, right? You just you just make it more clear to them, right? And that's going to help them. Or at least we hope that if we just gain more knowledge, right, we will somehow become more loving. If I go to more training, if I read more books, I go to more seminars, I'll become a more loving person, right, just kind of automatically. And the Bible says, no, that will not happen automatically, in fact, if you think it will happen automatically, you likely are going to become puffed up. You're, if you're not paying attention and be intentional about love, you're going to be a jerk. That's what Paul says knowledge does to you. And so, um, uh, so knowledge is actually dangerous. It comes with warning signs. It has a poisonous side effect, right? Um, it can make us feel prideful, and it can make us feel self-inflated. Okay, so this is in contrast to love. Love builds up. So there's something about knowledge that just goes in and begins to puff us up, but love is thinking about the other person. Love is about building up. And so that's the first problem with knowledge. Paul is painting it in a negative light. That's a little distressing for us. We live in the East Bay. We're well-educated people. We love our knowledge. We love to know things. We love to appear smart. We love our degrees, right? And Paul is saying, careful. That comes with a warning sign, all right? One of them is it puffs you up. But the other problem, he says, is that love also is never, or knowledge is never complete. 
right? Notice what he says. When if you think you know things, you don't know as you ought to, right? So those of us who have degrees, one of the things, like when I got my seminary degree, what I felt more about what I, I didn't initially feel like I knew more. I felt like, wow, there's so much I don't know. That's about all it taught me. Okay, okay, it taught me more than that. But it felt like that. Even when you get your PhD, right, the more degrees you have, the more you realize, oh, I, don't, I can spend the rest of my life and not wrap my mind around all of this. That's what scripture is saying. Paul is saying, look, you human beings, you finite human beings, you want knowledge? Problem is you will always, always be in a state of ignorance. Sure you want to live for that? You'll never know as you ought to, right? I mentioned I'm into dieting recently and nutrition. I watch 10 YouTube videos, and I think I know what I'm talking about. And then I, I find this other guy, and it says, watch me. You know those, like, I'm going to take this guy's video and show him how he's wrong? I'm like, it was one of the guys I was following. <laughs> no, he's wrong. Oh, and now I need, so now I have two videos contradicting each other. I need a tiebreaker video. But then I'm like, that's not good science. I should watch 30 videos and see where the outliers are. And then I'm like, that's not science because this is YouTube. <laughs> you, and I'm like, oh, the pro this is, that's in a nutshell, that's the problem of knowledge. It's never complete. There's always contradictory knowledge and it is head spinning. But notice what Paul points the Corinthians to. But if you love God, you are known by God. Notice the difference, the completeness there, right? Paul is saying, look, there's basically two ways to approach life. You can grow in knowledge and try to figure it out, or you can love God, and then you are fully known by God. And I think we're meant to feel the contrast, to feel the anxiety of needing more knowledge, of being contradicted with the knowledge we have, of it never ending, of our blind spots hurting people, Versus the stability and the rest and the fulfillment we have from being in a relationship with God. So he's beginning to already steer us away from knowledge and our addiction to knowledge and to the true pursuit of loving God. And he has the complete knowledge and he knows us fully. And so he's going to apply these problems to, the, to these principles to the, to the problem of idols, right? So we get knowledge, we put knowledge in its proper place, it's got problems. We see that love is um, a, a deeper, more stable foundation to build our lives on. So let's talk about idols. What Paul does here is he says, okay, speaking of idols, and, and let's talk about what we know. So he's going to drop some knowledge, Right? He says, here's what we know. Idols aren't real. They're pretend. And yes, there are quote unquote gods and lords in this world. And I think what he's pointing at is like Caesar was viewed as a god, which means, yes, there are these fake gods and fake lords have real influence in the world. And we have to deal with that. We have to reckon with that. But we know as Christians, as believers, the true God. We know who is really in charge, who has the, the, the knowledge of life and the mysteries of the human heart, who knows all these things. We know who that is. We know it is God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that 
Paul is saying that cuts through the dizzying array of options in this world, right? How do I know what source should I go to to tell me how to live this life? There are so many self-help options, so many gurus, so many YouTube people out there. And Paul is saying, but we know in the depth of our hearts that we can sleep on every day that God is the source. God is the one that created us so we know why we exist. We know where we come from. We know how we were made. And so if you want to really live out the beauty and dignity and purpose and power of your humanity, I think we're all trying to do that. That's the search we're all on is how do I live out this human experience? How do I truly live it out? And Paul is saying we know we go to God. God is the source. Christians have access to this amazing foundational knowledge, where we come from, why we exist, who made us through Jesus Christ, handcrafted from heaven, made in heaven. And these are wonderful truths that Paul clearly wants us to know. Yet, this knowledge must be guided by a higher principle in how we live that knowledge out. Verse 7, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, conscience being weak is defiled. So Paul brings up a critical issue to the Christian faith. Not all of us are in the same place. All of us will have something that gives us some kind of hang-up. There was something deep in our past or in our experience that causes us to look at the Christian life at it from a different perspective and with different convictions and with a different conscience about things. So Paul is going to say, this is an important place to learn to love each other. You're, you, we all have come from a different place. So some of us have some gaps, or I should say, all of us have gaps in our understanding. So verse 8, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. So Paul drops the knowledge piece, right? Regarding idols and food offered to idols, the idols aren't real, it's just food, you guys. That's the truth of it. But take care... Verse 8, that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Somehow, our knowledge, our sound biblical knowledge, there are no other gods. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Father who created us, who we exist for. I mean, there's no foundational knowledge than that. But even that knowledge can hurt somebody. If applied wrongly. Verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if he is conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your biblical sound seminary degree knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. 
the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Notice how this escalated very quickly. You were eating food in your freedom because of your good biblical knowledge, and the next thing you knew, Paul is saying you are destroying your brother and sinning against Christ. And so the irony is that your knowledge led you to be free in the idol's temple, but you forgot about the real temple. You forgot about the true temple, that brother, that sister who Christ died for. Do you see how he uses that sacrificial language, that temple language? The temple is where they sacrificed the food, but Christ's body was sacrificed to cleanse the conscience of that person. That's the temple. That's the sacred place. That sacrifice for that brother and sister should dictate your every action. So I try to capture this in a principle to help us remember this. The right knowledge applied the wrong way is sacrilege. The right knowledge, because what, what, where is that sacred place? What is truly holy? It's the person that Christ died for. And so think about this. If you are all you are about is gaining knowledge, even biblical knowledge, and you're not learning to love, you are actually a menace to the church. That's what this is saying. Forget the menace to society, right? We think gangs and thieves and criminals are, da- are dangerous. Scripture is saying if you do not act in love, you are destroying God's temple. This is strong language. And so your knowledge has puffed you up. You know, the image that came to mind as I was thinking about this, this is a puffer fish. I wouldn't call it cute, but it's, you know, it's a fish. Nothing wrong with it, Right? What happens when you get close to it or something gets close to it or it feels threatened? Look what it does. And I think scripture is saying that's a picture of Christians who are puffing themselves up with knowledge and you get close to them, you start talking to them, it's like, oh my gosh, all these spikes coming at me, right? So Christians, this is what scripture is saying about us, you think You're defending Jesus, you're defending the truth, and instead you've actually become toxic and hazardous to God's people. You poke with your truths, you jab with your convictions, you poison with your well-argued positions, because you have not love. And so Solano, we must wake up from our self-righteousness and our judgmentalism that comes from our addiction to knowledge. Our highbrow posturing, our puffing up against one another. Because when we love God, we are known by God. Jesus invites us into membership, into his kingdom. There's no theology test to be in God's kingdom. We all have an A plus by his blood shed for us. He has welcomed us. 
even when we have gaps in our knowledge, when we don't understand correctly, right? Even when Paul is saying, even when this person still believes those idols are real, Paul views that person in one way and one way only, Christ died for that person. That is how the lens in which Paul views that brother. Christ died for that person. That is what uh, enrolls us in the kingdom forever. Is not our record, not our score. And Paul says, can you view each other like that? Can you view each other with that lens? Can you view yourself through that lens? Can you rest in the work of Christ? And then, and so Paul says, with that, with that love, with the way that Christ loved us, so then what is our emphasis? We should love one another. And so now, does knowledge have a role? Yes, I would compare knowledge to food, right? Food, you need food. But what if food becomes your purpose? What happens to you? That's not healthy, right? Food has to come under a principle, a guiding principle. Is it enjoyable in the process? Yes. I like eating food. I like learning things. But there is a bigger principle at play. The driving, the driving ethic of the Christian life is not how much we know about God, but how much we love like God. That must be the driving principle of how we are going to be a healthy body. How are we going to reflect? How are we going to be a church of Jesus Christ? So I want to talk about how do we apply this? How do we live this out? And so I want to talk about the three pursuits of love. Love, if we're going to not, if we're going to put knowledge under the guiding principle of love, love has to pursue three things. First, love must pursue knowing people rather than showing people how much we know. Now, all of us have heard that phrase, right? People don't know, uh, people don't care how much you know until you show how much you care. Well, Paul puts that on steroids, doesn't he? You sin against them and you sin against Christ by how much you know until you start caring for who they are. Start caring about what, what's going on inside of them. Uh, and so we're literally doing damage to people's conscience when we don't care about them. And so how do we, um, what does that look like? Well, love pursues knowing people by adjusting to them rather than fixing them. So this kind of grabbed my attention, right? So notice what Paul does is he, when he's addressing the person who has a different view of eating food to idols, he says maybe because of their former story, because of their former association with idols, right, he's saying um, that he's understanding where they're coming from, and he's saying you don't understand. He says you have a history, and what's implied is that history. There's some things that are difficult for you to be untangled by, and so notice what Paul, who Paul goes after. He doesn't go after the person whose knowledge is wrong. He goes after the person whose knowledge is correct. He goes after the strong one, and he says you need to adjust to them. Right, And so what Paul even says himself, his own approach, he says, if my brother has a problem with eating food, eating meat, he doesn't say, I'm going to correct him. If I find out my brother has the wrong knowledge, I'm going to correct that knowledge. What does Paul say he does? I'll stop eating meat. 
He makes the adjustment first rather than trying to fix. This is a tough pause on our approach to relationships, is it not? Is this not a tough thing to slow down and do? And yet Paul and scripture is pressing on us that this is what love looks like. This is what love requires. And so, secondly, love pursues knowing people by taking the time to get to know them. We were doing a, um, uh, a training with the staff on communication. And we were discussing the listening cycle. Okay? So watch this. Look at this. Uh, look, look what it requires to be a good listener. You start, when the person's sharing, you start by attending. Look with your face, right? You, you, your posture reflects that you want to listen. You acknowledge as they're talking. You're tracking. You're getting what they're saying. Then you summarize. You make sure they understand that they get, that you understand them. You don't say, I understand. You show them you understand by summarizing. So they go, oh, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. And then look at this. Then you're still not done. You invite you know what that is? Is after you've understood them, you say, is there anything else? Or, or what else can you share about that? And then you go back to attend. So we did this as an exercise, a contrived exercise. And I remember going to the invite place, and I invited Miguel to share, and I had to go back to attend three times. And what we all, and it, first of all, we all were like, that felt good. It felt good to just, that posture of just, tell me more, of, of receiving that. But we all were like, man, that takes time. What do we want to do? What do, this is what I was sharing with the staff. I want to go right to that last one, which is ask questions. I want to start solving the problem. I want to get to the solution. So I'm going to start asking clarifying questions. Slow down, friends. Slow down. And so, whether we follow this super closely or not, I think that it takes time to get to know where people are coming from. It takes time to build that trust, to know their story, so that we can begin to apply the truth. Paul says discipleship is taking time. I will make adjustments. I will still pass on knowledge, but I will, I will make my own adjustments first as I get to know and understand them. So Christians pursue, Christian love pursues knowing people rather than showing people how much we know. Secondly, Christian love pursues wisdom at the seams rather than winning people to your team. And the, the idea here of seams is that what Paul, what this, what this issue of idols brings up is that when I mean, Jesus kind of strapped us with a problem as the church. He said, okay, I have created you to be my people. I have made you citizens of heaven, but I want you to stay right where you're at on earth. You're going to be, you're going to be not of the world, but you're going to be in the world. You're going to stay intimately connected to the world that I've called you out of. That's going to create a seam where our faith, our life with Christ is going to have to interact with the culture and the world around us like the idols. And so um, 
That doesn't mean that there aren't boundaries, rigid boundaries that we follow as Christians, right? The Bible's going to say you must believe and obey certain things to be a Christian. Those are not up for debate. We need to believe those things and we need to obey Jesus in very specific areas, all right? That's why church membership is helpful. We're describing here's where we are rigid, but where we're not rigid are where these seams of culture and world and faith hit is where we need to have wisdom instead of winning people to our positions, our view of things, right? And so there are always going to be seams in the culture. I just tried to think of a few, right? There, at that time, it was idols. Um, and I was like, in American culture, we don't have those same kind of idols, but a lot of us come from different cultural backgrounds where our family members still practice um, traditions that are both cultural yet have religious themes tied into them, right? Like, I remember one friend was asking me about, can he go to a Dia de los Muertos festival celebration where it's, on one hand, it's honoring the ancestors. On the other hand, it feels a little bit like ancestor worship, right? All, you know, one thing we do struggle with here, not struggle, but it's true in America, is we have some really interesting um, pra- uh, exercises and practices tied to Eastern religion, like yoga or acupuncture, right? So there's some theme, there's some places that the, 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 the seams hit. Some of us maybe were involved with, you know, before, you know, in college ministry, we talked a lot about should we go to frat parties or not, um, you know, there's just different things. Do we go, do we drink, do we not drink? So where the seams hit. And so we need to give each other space to figure those things out. And so just a couple questions to help us figure out how do we build each other up at those seams. Where the secular hits the sacred, where our faith is hitting the culture, and we're not sure it creates these ambiguous situations, how do we navigate that? I think there's a few questions we can ask. Number one, we can ask this question. What makes for peace? Paul says in Romans, under the same similar situation as the, as the Corinthians, he says, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So we can ask, are, is me participating or doing this activity um, going to stir up a lot of controversy? Now, we want to be careful there because Jesus seemed to pick fights that stirred up controversy. But in that case, he was dealing with legalists, right? These are sincere brothers and sisters who, because of their background, have a genuine problem with their conscience. A legalist is after power through rules. They want to use external rules and behaviors to control and gain power for themselves. And the church of Jesus Christ should confront that. That's not the controversy I'm worried about. But I think we can learn and be sensitive to where there's other areas of controversy where we want to ask what makes for peace. We can ask another question, what should be private? Paul says again in verse four, in Romans 14, Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. So some things, as we're aware of people's stories, as we're aware of things that people struggle with, maybe we need to go underground with those practices, be more 
private with them. And lastly, we can ask which convictions are personal. And so in this case, Paul's going to address both the person who has a conscience about something and the person who has no problem engaging that activity. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So you have two people viewing the situation differently, and Paul's saying, don't judge each other, right? Um, God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul is saying, look, you guys should not be fighting about these areas of seams, about these areas of differences of conviction. Stop judging each other. God has welcomed both of you, right? And so um, what are personal convictions? What does scripture not clearly address or there's a scene between the world and our faith? And the Bible is saying for a lot of those issues, not all of them, a lot of them, they should be personal what builds for peace, and maybe make it private. So don't judge each other. God is each other's judge. He's got this. Stick to the majors. My last point here, Christian love pursues sacrificing for those whom Christ died over living out our freedom in Christ. <clears throat> so what would happen, Solano, if we would say no to the addiction of knowledge, of needing to share our knowledge and what would happen if we said yes to the hard work of knowing people? Where might you need to say no to living out your freedoms without thought to how this will compromise the freedom of others? And instead of demanding your personal convictions be followed by others, what would it look like to show hospitality to the perspectives of others? We all come from different places of how we came to faith, we all have different cultural backgrounds. How can we be welcoming and hospitable to those differences? And so in summary, in all these things, more important than our own freedoms that come from Christ himself, right, that come from biblical knowledge, is that person sitting right next to you. And so Christians, are we ready to put our freedoms on hold for the sake of of those for whom Christ died. And in this way, we can begin to form bonds of love with the knowledge that we have. We want to form bonds of love with our knowledge, not barriers of pride. And then I believe the gospel would be attractive and the world will know Jesus Christ is among us. Let me pray as the band comes up and as we transition to communion. Father God, <clears throat> we thank you for this message that points us to the center of what you call us to, and that is to build one another up. And that requires remembering what is most sacred. It's not our knowledge. It's a person who you died for, that we would care about them, Lord, just as you care about us, just as you know us perfectly. We would seek to know people and then our knowledge becomes useful. Lord, help us to identify and repent 
of the areas of knowledge that have puffed us up, of the areas of freedom that we are stubbornly holding on to. We don't care what people think. But Lord, let us embrace the joy and the hard work of, of knowing where, where people are coming from, entering in, showing welcoming, hospitality, and posture to those differences. Lord, not running people over with knowledge, Lord, but overwhelming with love. Teach us and show us how to be that healthy body, Lord, the body of Christ. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.